When it comes to following Jesus, the road doesn't always go straight, does it? No. It's got twists and turns and obstacles and uphill, a lot of uphill. And sometimes we feel that downhill and it's like, yes. And then right away, it's like, oh my goodness, this is so hard. As much as we want it to be clear and straight, it isn't. But I've learned it isn't supposed to be. And a lot of times we come to God's word and we come to church, we come to ask spiritual questions and we would really like the Lord to just lay things out nicely for us, right? Give us what we need, but that's not how he works. Why don't you take a look at this picture? In C.S. Lewis' book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, there are children sitting in a bedroom on a bed looking at a painting on the wall. And it's of a boat on the ocean. It's Eustace Scrub, Lucy, and Edmund Pevensey, and it's been a while. Lucy and Edmund both have been to Narnia. Eustace has not. They stare at the picture on the wall, and all of a sudden, it's like they can smell the salt air. And even though they're in a bedroom, there's a breeze on their face. And the water starts to leak from the picture and flood the room. And all of a sudden, they're underwater and being pulled from it into another world. This is how I am learning scripture and the Bible and following Jesus it's more like that than it is, just give me a list, Lord. Just give me bullet points. The Bible pulls us into a journey, an adventure, and it has a destination. The destination is Jesus. But what does it look like to make a decision that Jesus help you with? Where you hear his voice. Which way should I go, Lord? What should I do about this job, this relationship? What should I be doing next? What kind of decision maker are you? Are you long, drawn out, gather tons of data, talk to lots of people? Then maybe, maybe you're ready to have a conversation about making a decision. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're a go with your gut, ready, fire, aim kind of person. Jump off the cliff, ask questions on the way down. How do you make decisions? What if you make a wrong decision? What does God do then? Are you in trouble? How will he handle this? So today's story, you're going to watch some people make some decisions with God and make some poor decisions with God. And let's see how he handles it. Acts chapter 16, verse six, follow along. They, this is Paul and his peeps, they are on a missionary journey. They went through the region of Phrygia, 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 whatever. You just have to go with it. It doesn't matter if you don't know how to say it, you just go for it. Phrygia and Galatia. And listen to this. They had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Huh. Passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision. It's almost where you were going, finally, <laughs> finally. 
And in the vision, there's a guy. He's standing and he's pleading. Hey, dummy, (laughs) Paul, come to Macedonia. Help us. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So decisions, asking what to do, making decisions, they're wrong, God correcting. So one thing, and Daniel spoke about this a couple weeks ago, everything doesn't have to be perfect for you to make a decision for Jesus and with him. In fact, conflict has preceded this moment. And do I remember the story? Paul had John Mark with him. And what does Paul say about John Mark? He can't go. I don't trust him. I don't think he's devoted enough. He deserted us. I'm not going with him. Barnabas says, well, I'm going with him. Oh, and Paul says, well, then I'm going with Silas. Disagreements in the church. I love that Luke the doctor who wrote this stuff down so that we could read it today, doesn't hide the weakness of the church, doesn't hide the weaknesses of the people. We say this, I'm going to keep saying this. You may think this is a great place, Pleasant Valley. Just give us time. We will disappoint you. I promise. Why? Because we're imperfect too. We make wrong decisions. We don't know what we're doing at certain points. And so Paul is making, I think, I think Paul's being a little harsh. Because you know what? Barnabas, who ends up going with John Mark, I don't know if you know this part of the story, Barnabas was the one guy to stand up for this grouchy murderer named Paul and said, I will stand with you. Now here's Paul seeing the immaturity of a younger believer, somebody who's kind of on and off. He hasn't been to church for like three weeks. I'm not trusting him. And Barnabas goes, hey, just chill. I'll go hang out with him. Paul's like, nope, not not, not me. I think Paul's being harsh. But don't give up on Paul. Because then you'll see Paul growing in the same way later as he's standing up for people like Timothy in the church in Corinth. It's all process. But the key thing to remember is this. And this is why it's called the acts of the risen Lord Jesus. Who's doing the acting here? Jesus. Jesus is the key player. He is the main character of the book of Acts. He's the one who is affecting and moving and changing hearts. It's never, you can do this. Just work hard to be a Christian. It's, he can do this. He can do this. But as I thought about this story, I started thinking about us. I started thinking about me making decisions, decisions I've made that have been good, bad decisions I've made, Your walk with him, your journey to know Jesus, the people he might be sending you to talk to at work about him. And it makes me ask the question, same one that they were asking, which way? Which way, Jesus? Can I get a map? Can I have a, just just send me, do you do that? You guys do this with somebody? Meet me at so-and-so. Where is that? I don't know. Send me the address. I'll punch it in to Apple Maps, Google Maps. Can we live? Most of us cannot even live without GPS these days. And even if we know it, you ever do this on a trip? You're going to the same place. You always go. You've been there so many times. What do you do? Do you punch it in? 
I do. Maybe it's just me. But it's just that thing. You're just like, what if I missed it, though? I remember being in college, and my dad, one of the first things he did when, he, when I went off to college, and I did, actually had a car. I was using my sister's car. But you know what was in the back? You had to reach around the pocket of the seat, the passenger seat. <sighs> Atlas. Of the whole world, honestly. <laughs> it's like, no matter where you go, you can flip to the page and you can find, re- like, we had to learn to use, read the maps. Now we just punch it into GPS. We want the Lord just to give us, just, you know, for tomorrow, for this week. Can you just give me some coordinates? I'll punch them in. I'll follow them. He doesn't do it that way, though, does he? But which Way. What was Paul's process for making decisions with Jesus, which you should be asking then, what's my process? What's my process for making a decision with Jesus? This fascinates me because I think I kind of know how to do this. <laughs> I kind of know how to make a decision with Jesus. But there have been times in the past when I thought I have, I made that decision with the Lord. And it's like, no, you didn't. It was wrong. Because I am a ready, fire, aim kind of person. I definitely go with my gut. It feels right, but sometimes it's wrong. Others may say, no way. I'm not even talking about it until I have all the data. So what did Paul do? Now, here's a question. Did Paul have all the information before he made the decision? Clearly, no. He had to to make some mistakes. So he just kind of makes a decision. He just goes. We're going, we're supposed to deliver the gospel to the Gentiles. This place is Gentile. It's not Jewish. It's Asia. Let's go. They start going. And what happens? Forbidden, prevented, blocked by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Jesus. I was reading a couple of uh, commentaries, listening to some guys this week. There are plenty of times where you're going to see the triune, the Trinity at work. And I think you're seeing that here because you have the Holy Spirit, Jesus is sent, and then you have the Spirit of Jesus. I'm not sure how that works. All I know is that when you're interacting with God, you're interacting with the Trinity. It's God in three persons, blessed Trinity. And so he forbids them. How does that, how does that happen? How might that happen for you? The part that was intriguing to me was that God let them make a decision that was wrong and actually get a little bit into it. He'll actually give you some slack, kind of like, oh, okay, go ahead. Let you make some mistakes. And so then eventually, so they make headway, but God stops them. I wonder how he did this. I'm asking those kind of questions. And then he finally has a, a dream. I imagine God in heaven going, oh. We, already, we had to stop him twice, didn't we? Just give him the dream. Just give him the dream. Send him the, what, what should we say in the dream? Just make it really, really, really clear. Have a guy stand there and say, please come here. I love that. Sometimes we need God just to throw us a bone. And I think he does that for Paul. But at some point in the journey, however this works, and you should be asking, how would this work in my life? What would it look like for God to prevent me or to even forbid me, to give me some sort of signal to say, no, don't do this? At some point in the journey, Paul said, "Um, hey, guys, I I think this isn't working. (laughs) I think something's wrong. My bad. And I love that Paul is the kind of leader that would say, my bad. I think that's the best kind of leader, actually. 
Leaders that can say, I messed up. Does anybody have anything? Anybody got a, a word from the Lord about where we should go? That's the kind of leader I want to follow. That's the kind of leader that's presented in scripture. Not hard charging. I don't make mistakes. You follow me. You just do what I say. No, Paul's like, uh, I think this is wrong. <laughs> I think this is wrong. Anybody have any ideas? There's a mysterious interplay between God's grace to let them make mistakes, his sovereignty to get them, to get you where he wants you to go. Our wisdom, some choices, some good, some bad, a little bit of wandering along the way. Sometimes it's attempting to head a certain direction and then we get the right information. God's process is definitely organic. It's many times a learn as you go type of thing. Yet we would prefer having all the data, wouldn't we? We kind of get mad about it that we don't have all the data. Now, we shouldn't read this and watch them and say, well, that's exactly what we should do then. We shouldn't, you don't ever take scripture and just go, okay, formula, A plus B equals C minus minus plus B. You don't do that. That's not how it's written, but you should read it and find wisdom, wisdom from the Holy Spirit. So what's some of the wisdom that I pulled just from watching Paul make mistakes and Jesus stopping him and then eventually throwing him a bone and giving him the right direction of where to go? You're going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes in following Jesus, but Jesus loves you enough to put roadblocks in your path. Happens twice to Paul. Paul has to have God say, no, no, yes. Just think right now, is there a place in your life, something that you are pursuing and it just keeps coming up empty? And there's a part of you inside that's just like, oh, I don't feel good about this. God could be directing you, could be leading, could be trying to speak to you. As I said, God's throwing him a bone. I think it's, there's a part of it that's just, we need grace. We need God to give us help. And then a huge portion, and it's right there at the end. It says, I concluded, no, we concluded. God wants us to do this. There's wisdom in letting other people speak into your life. Wisdom in a multitude of counselors. And so Paul has a community of people. He's willing to humble himself. He's willing to say, I made a mistake. This is wrong. Anybody got any ideas? We, he has the dream, but he doesn't pop in and say, well, I finally got revelation from the Lord and I'm the leader, obviously. And so I think we should do this. We decided, we decided, I love that. So how might God communicate to you? It could be, not only for you to make decisions about following him, just initial decisions to follow him at all, or about somebody else that needs to hear about him from you. It could definitely be miraculous. It could be a dream. It could be a prophetic word. My father-in-law actually heard an audible voice one time. We were living in Tennessee. They had lived in California their whole life. And he said, tells the story, he said, I actually heard a voice out loud that said, go to Tennessee. <laughs> he had a job offer and he was just struggling. And if you talk to him, he would say, I've never heard anything else since. But you know what they did? They moved. Could be that, could be a dream, could be miraculous. But I think prayer individually, corporately can give you wisdom. Your thoughts will be directed after you have spent time with Jesus. 
I have heard the Lord speaking, not out loud, but so loud in my gut and in my heart about something that I should or shouldn't do. Sometimes it's just a place of where I've sinned. And God's like, hey, that. You're like, no, yes, let's talk about it. I want to, you need to confess that to me. We need to work through that. You'll hear his voice. You listen to him, you submit yourself to him. Other times, a gut thing. It just didn't feel right. But the main part of this is submitting to Jesus. Your plans, your life, asking him, Lord, it's yours. What do you want me to do? Sometimes I think it's also a good thing to, if something you're trying to pursue and you can just flat out say, Lord, this is yours. I open my hands to you. And sometimes I do that in prayer in the morning. Lord, this thing that I'm thinking about that I'd be super excited about doing, but whatever you want. I trust you and you can say, let it fail. He's fine with, let it fail. If it's not gonna work, just let it fail. The most important part of all of this, and you see it in Paul, you see it in the way that they are doing ministry is that you are submitted to Jesus Christ for your life for every decision every relationship, every moment. He is the king. He is asking to have all of you. A few verses. Psalm 16, I will bless the Lord who counsels me. Even at night when my thoughts trouble me, I will always let the Lord guide me. He's at my right hand. I won't be shaken. Also Psalm 16, you reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy at your right hand or eternal pleasures. Proverbs 16, 9, in his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Submitted to Jesus, God's purpose and plan for you. Because why is God preventing them from going to Asia? You're going to find out right now. Verse 11, from Troas, we put out to sea. We sailed straight for Samothrace, just do it fast. The next day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, a Roman colony and a leading city of the district of Macedonia. Good job. Good job, Paul. We stayed in that city for several days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. First thing I noticed is that they do it. They obeyed. God says, I think you should do this. They go. There's no ignoring it. They step right in. Their commitment to Jesus calls them to something higher than just pursuing their own life pursuits. They're going to do what he wants. They're not here on vacation. They aren't here for a fun trip. They didn't book an Airbnb. They're on mission. They're on mission. And mission isn't for missionaries. They may be more focused, mission is for all of us. We have all been given the mission to speak and represent Jesus in his kingdom. You love Jesus? It's kind of a question. Just think about it. And if you do, you want to please him? You want to stand before him one day? And do you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Or do you want to hear, you just live for yourself? You didn't do anything I asked. I want the other one. <laughs> I want to hear, well done. So how do we do that? How do we represent Jesus to a world that needs him? 
So as a general rule, when we think about speaking for Jesus, we aren't supposed to look at a passage like this and just say, well, they went to the river. Let's go to the river. You don't do that. A lot of times we do that with the Bible, and that's an obvious one. A lot of times we're like, it says this, 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 and this. We have to do it exactly that way. And that is not how you're supposed to read the Bible. <laughs> Can you get specific instructions? And are there things that you should and shouldn't do? Sure. Will you find them in there? But most of the time, it is a narrative. It is a story that has one purpose, to lead you to Jesus Christ to get you to the place where you're listening and you're going, why are they even asking God what he wants? Why did Paul change his career and do this instead? He keeps getting beaten and shipwrecked and almost killed. Why is he doing this? And it's to get you to go, should I be doing this? Should I be considering that Jesus is the king? Is he really the king or is it just the thing I do on Sunday? It's a story to move you to your recognition of a need for Jesus Christ. So we don't read for specific, they went to the, by the river. Okay, let's all go down to the Mississippi River. I know it's cold, but we'll see some people probably. Maybe. We'll, and we're just gonna sit there and wait. It's not what we do. But we listen and we say, okay, what is he doing? Read with the eyes of your heart, not your objective, logical, Western eyes that needs the GPS location. We ask the question, so what wisdom is there? How do we speak for Jesus? Because if you missed it, let me say it one more time. Jesus is definitely asking you, absolutely expecting you, commanding us to speak for him, to tell a world that he's the king, that his kingdom is here, that it's now but not yet, that he has accomplished things in his life, death, resurrection, that he's coming again, that the only answer to their sin is a savior who has loved them and given himself for them. And this command that you are to speak for him may still feel shocking and a bit of a surprise. And you may be saying, you want me to do what? You want me to do what? I don't even know if I'm following you well, and you want me to speak for you? What's the purpose that God kept them from going to Asia? Her! Somebody was there. Somebody was waiting. Somebody needed to hear. Now listen, you're not alone in being afraid to speak for Jesus or God. Moses, first one, God's like, I am sending you. You're going to lead my people out of Egypt, out of slavery. I could tell you all this stuff, but just trust me, you got a really important part in this whole story. And what does Moses say? Mm -mm. Send somebody else. I, 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 don't, I don't really talk very well. The Lord's like, no, no, I'm sending you. I just, I really, really prefer not to go. <laughs> Moses. You're not alone in being afraid. Disciples, think about the disciples and who they were and what they were doing beforehand. They weren't public speakers. They weren't people who were in the Senate in Rome. They were fishermen, tax collectors, zealots, 
people who just were trying to do life. And God says, you're perfect. You're, you're perfect to speak for me. You're perfect to speak for me. Because here is the truth. Somebody in your life, family, friend, coworker, boss, is sitting by the river. Not the real river. The symbolic river. Watch the wisdom that comes from this passage, at least that I saw this week. They do go to the, a public place, the city gate, the river. In ancient Rome, women did not have the same cultural status as men. They were not seen as equals in any sense. Women had few legal rights, were expected to remain within the confines of the home. They were not allowed to vote, own property, or ever be present in the Senate. So Paul and his guys say, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're going to give the most important message in the world to those women right there. You got to love the gospel. The gospel, this would have shocked them that they were even speaking to them. These are Jewish men. They know this. I can't even believe that you're speaking to me. But the gospel breaks cultural norms. It's upside down. Second, so they go to this public place, they speak to the women, and then they pray. They're going to pray. They're going to find a place of prayer. We've been inviting you into prayer. We're still inviting you into prayer. Wednesday morning, 6 a.m. in this room, there's a sleepy crowd. And we're here praying for the kingdom of God in our midst. We'd love for you to join us. And I'll tell you, it's great and it's difficult. Wednesdays are my tired day. <laughs> They're my tired day. If I come to prayer, I'm always like, <laughs> the rest. but it's like, but Lord, I want to commit myself to prayer. Paul wanted to commit himself to prayer. Join us in that. We'll keep asking you to do that. Our daily rhythm of prayer. You can also find that on our website. But this was Paul's approach. They're like, let's go, let's go pray. Let's go sit in the public place and let's pray. Let's do a little recce for Jesus. We're going to do some recon. We're going to do a little spy craft, a little bit of incognito. We're going to see what happens. Sometimes that is a great approach in your work. I know you've got work to do, but sometimes you're on your lunch break and you're sitting there and you're like, I just want to sit by myself. I don't want to talk to anybody. And the Lord's like, <clears throat> no, oh, Lord, not him. <laughs> Listen, pray. And so as they pray, God is directing. He's moving. He did a whole lot to keep them from going somewhere else. And so they sense God's doing something here. That was their approach. How about us? What's the best way to speak for Jesus in our culture right now? So there's a huge debate in kind of the public arena right now about what it means to do this. And there are some specifically because of the last few years and what's happened in our culture and from the election and the division and all this craziness and Christians are targets now and oh my goodness. So there is an older version which would say we need to reason. We need to be, have good arguments and really have our things in line and really convince people. There's another whole crowd that's out there saying, no, take it to them, attack. We need to go after people. We need to take it back by force, which just even uh, just hearing it in the words phrase, I'm like, oh, 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 
But I've also, that first one though is, is kind of tough too. Because how many of you this past week had somebody who was like, can you really lay out your argument for me of why it's important to believe in God and specifically follow Jesus and why the Bible is the word of God? Anybody have that conversation this week? Nope, not me either. Nobody's asking. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Then in times past, there's definitely evidence that demands a verdict. Josh McDowell, I remember studying that book, reading those things and like, I want to be ready. I want to be able to stand up and have a good argument with somebody and debate. What if people don't want to debate? What if they don't care? Like, great, you have your conversation over there about God. I don't care. I don't want to be in this conversation. So some of the options that are out there, there's the numbers game. You may have heard this one. If each of us shares with one and then they share with one and then they share with one and then we get the whole world to at least hear it once and then Jesus will come back and we're going to be done with this whole stupid thing. <laughs> Sorry, did I say that out loud? I did. But sometimes that's how it feels. Just like, just a numbers game. Just get it done, get it over with, get God back here because we're tired of this. We don't really like people anyway. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Another one is to talk about everything but Jesus. I don't really mention him by name. I just talk about spiritual things, desires, and you know, and that keeps it all calm. Because as soon as you mention Jesus and that he's the only way, off with their heads, right? The other one I mentioned, the careful reasoned apologetic approach. I'm going to persuade you to believe in God through my good reasoning. But if people don't want to have that debate, it won't matter. Then there's a stereotypical cliche of the person on the street corner with a bullhorn. Hey! I've seen this in several places, both in Tennessee and in Minnesota. Let's go into a wild game. Guy standing on the corner, telling people they're going to hell. Tennessee football game. I'm like, man, I just want to go to the game. <laughs> That's how I felt. I just want to go to the game. There's like... 106,000 people that fit into the Nayland Stadium in Knoxville. It's an awesome place to watch a football game. There's thousands of people trying to get to their seats. There's this guy riding down the middle of the street. He's got a person on the back. They're both wearing helmets with visors. You can't see their faces. Ha <laughs> ha. Huge flag riding down the street. You know what it said? Not God loves you. All that matters is you're going to hell. It's like, hmm. And that, what does that make me want to do as a Christian? I'm just, yay, go Vols. Like, I mean, that's how I feel in that moment. Or the person on the, the corner. And then there's one final one, a falsely attributed quote to St. Francis of Assisi, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. What I've read, he didn't say that. Second, it's like the off the hook one. If people want to know, they'll ask me. I'm just living a good life keeping clean lunch eating habits and stuff like that, where people are like, wow, you're so clean. Tell me about Jesus. <laughs> Won't happen. So how do we answer the question? How do we represent Jesus? Well, let me ask the answer personally. For me, it was the kindness and goodness of my parents that started it. The way they loved me, the way they reflected the gospel in their love for each other, and talking about Jesus in our house. Second, it was hearing the basics of the word of God preached in a sermon. I was 10 or 11 years old, Baptist church. That guy scared the out of me, okay? I did not want to go to hell. I was like running to the front. <laughs> but 
we all kind of had that moment and it's like, wow, that didn't quite stick. And then it was my youth pastor, Tim Tinsley. I was like, wow, this guy is compelling and authentic and real and normal, if you know what I mean. And a thousand other acts of kindness in the name of Jesus since. Jack London's Call of the Wild, Buck the Dog Learns the Law of the Club from the Man in the Red Sweater. It beats the dog into submission, which creates this imprisoned state to where eventually when there's this man named Thornton who actually loves the dog, the dog's afraid, lash out, locked up in a certain way. What does it take to get Buck the dog to eventually give in to that love? Pastor in Chattanooga, Joe Novenson, I stole this from years ago, but he said this, a thousand acts of kindness, a thousand acts of kindness that eventually won him over. The word gentleness is all over the Bible, all over the Bible. Peter knew this, it's the fruit of this, one of the fruit of the spirit. He witnessed it in Jesus. He wrote it in his letter. Always be ready to give an account with your sign that says they're going to hell. No, with gentleness and respect. The kindness of God leads us to repentance. That's a start. That's a start for everyone. But it's more than our effort. This is the acts of the risen Lord Jesus. Something else has to happen. Verse 14. Here we are by the river. We're praying. We're talking to the women. We're flipping cultural norms and a God-fearing woman named Lydia. Don't forget her name. Lydia. A dealer in purple cloth. How about that? Thank you, details. From the city of Thyatira to stay fast. Purple cloth, Thyatira. Lydia was listening. And here it is. If there was ever a verse to memorize. This is it. The Lord opened her heart. The Lord opened her heart to respond. The Lord opened her heart to respond. The Lord opened my heart to respond. If yours is closed, the Lord will open your heart and anybody else you know to respond to what Paul was saying, and after she and her household were baptized, we're going to talk a little bit about that in a minute, she urged us, hey, hey, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, please come to my house. Come and stay at my house. She, and she persuaded us. You can be God-fearing and still not know Jesus. Have we heard that word before? Not likely. We don't use that very often these days, do we? Oh, he's a God-fearing man. It's an old term. You may have heard it more in the South, actually, from where I'm from. But you wouldn't hear like, hey, do you know so-and-so? Oh, yeah, God-fearing. Mm-hmm. You're like, what? <laughs> but what might you say? Oh, great person. Really good person. Oh, rotten. <laughs> like, but we wouldn't, we wouldn't God-fearing. So you can be God-fearing. You can be pretty good 
and still not know Jesus. And apparently knowing Jesus is critical. <laughs> it's essential. You have to know Jesus. You have to have what he has done applied to your life. There's a truth about every single person on the planet when it comes to their heart. It doesn't matter how convincing you are or how great your skills of debate, rhetoric, or logic may be. And though a thousand acts of kindness will be the preferred delivery method that God will use, and I'll say that, absolutely. That is his preferred delivery method. And notice a thousand, because it takes a long time sometimes. When it comes to people, something else still needs to happen. You may have already experienced this truth. Think of somebody right now you know. It could be you, by the way, who is completely closed off to Jesus. No. For multiple reasons. Because the church is lame. Because Christians are hurtful. Because I was spiritually abused in other places I've been. Because God can't be trusted. Because God is punishing me. Because... No, locked. And you can reach out to open that door in a conversation and you'll say, uh-oh, Jesus, this door is locked. Locked. There's a bridge in Paris across the Seine that is called the Love Lock Bridge. And for hundreds, <laughs> long time actually, people have been going to this bridge and when your heart is locked up with somebody else, you put a lock on the bridge and it's called the Love Lock Bridge. And it's been this like amazing romantic place where you can go and put a lock on the bridge. And so Caleb and I were there this past summer and I was like, I'm going to put a lock on this bridge for Lisa and all the locks are gone because there were over a million locks on the bridge and it weighed 45 tons. <laughs> and it was breaking the bridge. But as I thought about this, because this is what I thought about of locked up hearts. When we think about people's hearts, and even if like there's somebody you really, really, really wanted to like you. What do we do about locked doors? Can we force them open? When it comes to hearts, can you force them open? Nope. How about kick them down? We try that. That doesn't work either. Beat on them. Come on. Does that work? Nope. How about just yell from the other side at a distance? We try that one too. That doesn't work either. People are very good at keeping their hearts locked up. There's also spiritual locking, imprisonment that's happened because of our brokenness and our sin. And so guess who has the key? Jesus does. Jesus has the key. Could be your heart. Could be a friend. Could be a family member, coworker. Could be somebody you really dislike. He's got the key. He literally has the key to unlock their heart. He did it with Lydia. He unlocked her heart. And I just heard this yesterday from a scholar. 
Baptism is definitely a public declaration of your faith and loyalty to Jesus Christ. You know what else it is? It is a spiritual declaration of spiritual war. It goes into the spiritual realm and they see somebody go under that water and they're like, oh no, not another one. Not another one. It's, it's almost you. Now it's, we've said that before and we'll have baptism again here. It's something you want to do, publicly profess your faith in Christ. So it's not that there's magic. I'll use that word loosely, but something supernatural happening when you actually do it. But it is a public declaration. Lydia and her family are saying to the spiritual powers and the forces at work and those that have held their hearts locked, hey, we are set free. Our allegiance is to the king of kings. And I don't know how it works in the spiritual realm, but I can guarantee they're not happy. They're not happy. War is being lost. There's one other thing happening here before we finish. And this, this was just like a really, the other people are like, I, sometimes you preach on something and you say something, you're like, I just read this. This is so amazing. And other people are just, fat jerks and just go, you know what? You didn't know that? I knew that already. Oh yeah, of course. Don't do that to people, especially when people come up and they're like, hey, did you know this? Instead of being like, oh yeah, I read that for a long time ago. You say, I know, isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? So one of the things, and so forgive me if you are a Bible scholar and you already knew this, but this week, it was one of those where I was like, oh, no way. <laughs> and I know it's a basic thing. But where are they? What city? Out loud. Come on. Anybody? Philippi. 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 Letter to the Philippians. Guess where that little church started? Down by the river. And eventually, which house? Lydia's house. We're going to see that later. Verse 40, it's going to come up again. Where's everybody gathering? Lydia said, my house, church, my house. Lydia is not just making a declaration of spiritual war for her own family. She is putting down a flag in the city to say this house, this family, people in this community, we are going to be devoted to Jesus. We are making a decision with Jesus to follow him on the Jesus road. And so Philippians, Philippians, I sat back in my office this week. And like I said, anybody that's like, I knew that. Well, I didn't. <laughs> and it was so fun to realize it this week. I sat back and I was like, Philippians, no way that the first church was Lydia probably dressed in purple and heard these words. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he was God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Philippians, come on! That's the kind of stuff that's at stake in our decisions about Jesus. 
Why did God prevent them? Why did he let them kind of make mistakes in their decision-making process? Lydia needed to hear. But also, unlocking her heart would mean that one day you would read those words. So he could unlock your heart. It's all connected. Where are you on the Jesus road? Worship team, you guys can come on up. What's he asking? Right now, just for you, what's he asking you to do? Where is he possibly blocking your path? Any gut checks, any obstacles in your way as you move forward? Who is sitting by the river of your life? Who might he be sending you to? Is their heart locked? Is your heart locked? I know who has the key. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for just the way your word just, just wrecks us, Lord. I'm, I'm, I have to just say, Lord, and I've said this to so many people, I am loving this year and reading your, your word. It's just not because I'm getting information or a big list of dictionary things for my theological knowledge, but I'm just kind of enjoying the journey, enjoying what I'm seeing in people watching hearts respond, Lord, watching leaders make mistakes and admit it, watching the humility of presenting an imperfect group of people. Thank you for putting that in there, Lord, that Paul and Barnabas had a disagreement and parted ways. Thank you for putting that in there. So thank you for this place. Thank you, God, for your spirit moving among us this morning. We're going to sing a couple more songs, Lord. Uh, we trust your work, how you move, and ask that you would uh, do that now. Lord, I can hear you walking through this room, and you got a big old ring of keys. Unlock some hearts, Lord. And Lord, those in our lives that you have us being a delivery system to them of a one or two acts of kindness that may indeed be the final couple of moments before you actually unlock their heart. And so let us be obedient. Minister to us now, Holy Spirit. Amen.